0: neighbors hey everyone welcome back to another episode of murder next door how was your day so far Brittany? mine was good um i'm
1: still recovering because we had some really bad air pollution last week from the wildfires in what is it quebec canada right i
0: feel like it was quebec
1: somewhere in canada there was a bunch of wildfires and it basically spilled over into new york new jersey pa
0: yeah just a big gray cloud or yeah. orange yeah, red yeah it was awful um
1: i got the world's worst like asthma ever so
0: we love that today's case truly is out of a horror movie and when i say that i mean literally the man we are talking about today was one of the main men who inspired the character buffalo bill in *Silent
1: of the lambs kasha's not kidding the man we're talking about today has a criminal minds episode about him not to mention numerous books true crime podcasts, and so much more. This has to be, so far, one of our most infamous killers and cases.
0: We are really keeping them in suspense here, huh?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely keeping them on their toes for sure, unless they actually pay attention and read the title of this episode.
0: True. Well, I guess there's no point in keeping quiet anymore. Today's episode is about the monster preacher, Bishop of Horrors, Gary Heidnick. Dun, dun, dun. Sorry, I had to
1: all that suspense we were building.
0: And well, with all of our suspense built, I'd say we should start our journey with Heidnik. So without further delay, let's Let's get get bloody. On November 22nd, 1943, Gary Heidnik was born in Eastlake, Ohio, to parents Ellen and Michael Heidnik. They had one other child named Teddy just 17 months after that. Three years after Heidnik was born, his parents divorced due to his mother's alcoholism. Despite this apparent issue, Heidnik and his brother actually continued living with their mother for another four years. Eventually, their father, and new stepmother, took custody of both of them due to Ellen being an unfit parent. Unluckily for Heidnik, however, the trauma didn't end there. While living with his father, Heidnik was consistently abused and, and humiliated both emotionally and physically. Heidnik claims that he used to frequently wet the bed, and his father would force him to hang the soiled and stained sheets from his bedroom window to shame him.
1: Which is beyond messed up, not just for your child, but to subject your neighbors to as well. But also, frequent bedwetting is one of the McDonald triad parts. For those of you who don't know what this is, it's an old theory that states if a child has shown a large interest in setting things on fire, cruelty to small animals, and frequent bedwetting, they are more likely to grow up being a violent person or even a serial killer. Which is crazy how accurate that can be sometimes. I know. But let's get back to our young Heidnik. School and him didn't get along. Although he had an incredible IQ of 148, public school posed quite a challenge for him. He was antisocial on a good day, and on a bad day you could catch him verbally berating his female classmates for attempting to speak to him. In one instance, he even told a classmate that she was not worthy to be speaking to him. Quite the ego on this guy, that's for sure. At 14, Heidnik's father convinced him to attend a military school in Staunton, Virginia. He did so for two years before leaving to attempt public school once again. That didn't last long, however. He left before he graduated to join the Army at 17. He served in the United States Army for 13 months and was regarded as an excellent recruit during basic training. Even with the good performance, though, he got rejected for multiple positions, including military police. And I'd want to say that's probably for the best. Agreed. Can you imagine a man like Heidnik in a position of power like that? That would cause a lot of deaths. Oh, yeah. It's a disaster waiting to happen for sure. But luckily it didn't happen. But where did Heidnik finally get a job, you ask? Where did he get placed? As a medic. Honestly, didn't see that coming. He trained in San Antonio, Texas, and as with most things, Heidnik did well. He eventually transferred to Landstuhl, West Germany to work for the 46th Army Surgical Hospital, and during that time, he also secured his GED. So, he was finally getting his ducks in a row, so to speak. That was until August 1962, Heidnik started to complain about various symptoms like frequent headaches, stomach aches, blurry vision, dizziness, amongst a myriad of other things. When a doctor examined him, they diagnosed him with just a bad stomach flu. But during the exam, the doctor also made note that our guy Heidnik was displaying signs of mental illness and was prescribed tri which it's an antipsychotic. Harsh medication to get put on right from the get-go. That October, he was transferred to a military hospital in Philadelphia, PA, where he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder and then honorably discharged
0: from the military. Heidnick tried getting a few jobs here and there after the discharge, like a licensed practical nurse, but nothing stuck. He either had poor attendance or was downright rude to people. This was the start of a very quick but silent downward spiral from him. Heidnick, from his discharge up until his arrest in 1987, spent a lot of time in and out of psychiatric wards for mental health and over 13 suicide attempts. It ran in the family too, unfortunately. His brother Teddy had attempted frequently and his mother Ellen, after fighting a battle with bone cancer and her losing battle of alcoholism, killed herself in 1970. You could say the apple didn't fall far from the tree with the mental health in his family. Wandering through life, Heidnik did what a lot of people have done before him when you feel like you can't find your purpose. He turned to religion. He started a church called United Church of Ministers of God, and up until his arrest, he gained a large following and made over half a million dollars. During today's time period, that would be worth over $2.7 During this time, he used a marriage service to meet his soon-to-be wife, Betty Didso. They corresponded through mail for two years before she was flown from the Philippines for them to be married a month later in October of 1985. Their marriage, however, didn't last long. Betty did so divorced him in January 1986 after multiple disputes. Betty also claims that Heidnick had sexually assaulted her as well as cheated on her while forcing her to watch. Good for her on divorcing him.
1: Little did Heidnick know that during that short period of time, he had impregnated Betty and she had a child in September. He didn't find out until a year later when Betty requested that he started making child care payments. He did attempt to receive partial custody but was never granted permission. And even before his serial crimes were about to discuss, not only did he assault Betty, but he had gotten in trouble for multiple other sexual and physical assaults, even shooting his landlord in the face at one point over a dispute. He was in prison for a short time before being released, only to reoffend in a much, much bigger way. Gary Heidnik's most heinous crime would take place from January 1986 up until his arrest in March 1987. During this time, he abducted six African American women, all within the age range of 18 to 25 years old. We're going to list all of them for you now and their dates of capture. Josefina Rivera was Heidnik's first on November 25, 1986. Sandra Lindsay was December 3rd, 1986. Lisa Thomas was December 23rd, 1986. Deborah Dudley was January 2, 1987. Jacqueline Askins was January 18th, 1987. And lastly, Agnes Adams was on March 23rd, 1987. All these women suffered at the hands of Heidnik, and not all of them would make it out alive. Most were lured under the guise of a deal for sex work or a date gone wrong. All of them would become a victim of his house of horrors.
0: During their time in Heidnik's home, all six girls were kept in his basement at 3520 North Marshall Street, North Philly, Sometimes they were even kept in a pit, dug in the floor. In their captivity, the women were repeatedly raped, forced to have sex with one another, beaten, and tortured. If the women ever upset Heidnik, he would punish them in various ways. These punishments included electrocution, starvation, being thrown in the pit with heavy boards placed on top of them, and driving screwdrivers into their ears. They were fed a diet of just dog food when he did feed them. They were forced to eat and live like animals. As we mentioned, though, sadly, not all of these women would make it out alive. Sandra Lindsay would be the first of the women to die at the hands of Heidnick's abuse.
1: At 24 years old, Lindsay had a decreased mental capacity and jaw issues. This caused frequent annoyance in Heidnik and on one occasion upset him so much he decided to punish her. He suspended her from a pipe in his basement where she quickly became starved and dehydrated. These poor conditions led to Lindsay developing a high fever and consequently leading to her death the following morning. When Heidnik discovered her suspended body, he unhandcuffed her and took her upstairs into his room. He went on to dismember her body, cooking down the different parts to store in his fridge and freezer, as well as feed it to his dogs.
0: It is rumored that his homemade dog food was fed to the victims, but police never found evidence anywhere to confirm these claims. The second and only other woman to die because of Heidnik was 23-year-old Deborah Dudley. gecko, Dudley was the only woman to ever disobey Heidnik consistently. This created a lot of tension among the other women because when one of them upset him, they were all punished in some way. About a month after Lindsay's death, Dudley upset Heidnik through disobedience once again, and this meant she would be punished. This time it went too far. Heidnik filled the pit in his basement with water and forced Dudley to stand in it. He suspended her in a similar way to Lindsay, but in this case, he had Josefina Rivera attach stripped electrical wires to Dudley's handcuffs. Heidnik proceeded to electrocute Dudley until she died. He then disposed of her body in a local state forest in New Jersey.
1: Before Heidnik was ever caught, he had multiple close calls with the police. Neighbors would call and complain about a bad odor coming from his house.
0: Most... Most likely a body. Yeah,
1: exactly. On one occasion, police even decided to follow up on the complaints, and Heidnik explained it away by saying he fell asleep while cooking a pot roast and burnt it. And the police, for some reason, were like, ah, yeah, that seems about right. We'll be on our way.
0: Which is weird, because dead bodies have a distinct smell. You ever drive by, like, a dead deer?
1: Yeah, it's, like, weirdly sweet. Like, that's not going to smell like a burnt pot roast. Yeah. They were just like, nah, this is fine. So how did Heidnik end up finally getting caught? We'll
0: tell you. Remember how we mentioned earlier Heidnik had forced Josefina Rivera to take part in Deborah Dudley's lethal punishment? Well, this is because over the course of the time Rivera was with Heidnik, she created somewhat of a relationship with him to try to survive. This made her one of his favorites, which meant she got special privileges, if you'd call them that. She occasionally was able to go upstairs in the house to watch a movie with Heidnik and was allowed to be raped in a more comfortable place other than the pit in the basement. Due to his favoritism, Rivera had to help Heidnik find a new girl to replace Dudley. This ended up being Agnes Adams. This act meant Rivera was finally able to ensure that Heidnik trusted her enough to allow her to visit her family. One day, he let her do just that, and that would be his downfall. He dropped Rivera off at a local gas station, saying he'd wait there for her to return, but instead of visiting her family, she rounded the corner and found the nearest payphone, contacting the police.
1: Police arrived at the payphone to a visibly shaken Rivera pleading for help. After explaining her situation and telling them about the other woman, she told the police that Heidnik was waiting for her return at the gas station. Police apprehended him right away, and Rivera led them to the basement, and all four surviving women were free at last.
0: During the search of Heidnick's home, police ended up finding six plastic bags filled with the human remains of Sandra Lindsay in his fridge and freezer. And with that evidence as well as the girls finally being found, it was time for Gary Heidnick to face his crimes. And the dude couldn't even do that. While in the Philly Detention Center awaiting his
1: trial, he attempted to hang himself from a shower pipe with his t-shirt. That didn't work, however, as the guard quickly cut him down and he was left to wait for his trial once more. Due to his history with mental illness, Heidnik did attempt to plead insanity. He even brought three psychologists to testify on his behalf. There was Dr. Clancy McKenzie, who said that Heidnik suffered from schizophrenia and that at the time of the murders, he suffered from an infant brain due to feeling neglected by his mother at 17 months when his brother Tommy was born. This was around the time that he had found out that Betty was pregnant, so they're saying that he basically just reverted back to that. There was Dr. Kenneth Cool, who claimed Heidnick's schizophrenia affected his brain in a way that he didn't know right from wrong and that he believed he was acting on a systemized delusion of God. And then there was Jack A. Apsheed, after reviewing all of Heidnik's treatments for his mental illnesses, he also believed that due to his schizophrenia, he didn't know right from wrong, nor could he understand the nature of his actions. But I'm sure you guys know this. You can find experts to say anything you want. In our plaintiff's case, though, they didn't have just three witnesses and experts like Heidnik did. The Commonwealth had eight. These include various people like Heidnik's stockbroker, acquaintances, and various experts. The most important are the following people. Ernestine Simpson, who was a social worker in New Jersey, who interviewed Heidnik to ensure that he could take his ex-wife off of hospital grounds at one point. He was deemed sufficiently responsible, this being in the fall of 1986. Harold Wexler, a courtroom reporter who read court proceedings from family court in January 1987, and characterized Heidnik's behavior as cunning and... He was very good at deceptions about his worth and obligation to take monetarily take care of his ex-wife and child. And lastly, Richard W. Hole, who was a psychiatrist at the Veterans Outpatient Clinic in Philly. He testified that in December 1986, after not seeing Heidnik since February of that year, that he asked to have his treatment reinstated. That being said, Heidnik also denied having any symptoms like anxiety, hallucination, delusions, or depressions, which makes me wonder if he reinstated his treatment just to eventually file for insanity if he was ever caught. But that's besides the point. Richard Hole said that he continued seeing Heidnik up until his arrest, and even though he'd prescribed Thorazine, he never saw any problems or concerns. Due to all these rebuttal statements, the jury rejected Heidnik's insanity plea and stated that the evidence, as well as the testimonies from the women recounting their torture and his behavior, that it all proves beyond reasonable doubt that he was of sound mind when he committed both murders as well as the rest of the crimes.
0: On July 1st, 1988, Gary Heidnick was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, six counts of kidnapping, five counts of rape, four counts of aggravated assault, and two counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse. This gave him initially 150 to 350 years in prison, but after this conviction, another hearing was held for his two counts of murder, sentencing him to the death penalty. Heidnik did not take this news very well, and in January 1989, he attempted to kill himself once again through an overdose of his prescribed Therosine. He attempted to appeal, but was denied due to everything being considered beyond a reasonable doubt. He then took back the appeal and asked if they could quicken the time it would take to receive the death penalty. Spoiler alert,
1: they did him no favors and still made him wait a really long time.
0: That they did. During this time, his ex-wife and child Maxine filed a suit in federal court requesting a stay of execution in 1997, saying Heidnik wasn't competent enough for execution. This was denied, and after two more years of court rulings, On July 3, 1999, the U.S. court issued its final ruling, which meant he was in fact going to receive the death penalty. No more fighting it. On July 6, 1999, he was given his last meal of two slices of cheese pizza and a black coffee. He was then executed via lethal injection. He was the last person to ever receive the death penalty in Pennsylvania and was one of a total of three who were given the death penalty in this state.
1: So where are Gary Heidnik's victims now? Some of them watched his execution, saying it was too peaceful for the torture he put them through. The other surviving women wanted to press charges against Josefina Rivera for helping Heidnik torture them and kill Deborah Dudley. But the DA dropped charges due to Rivera being the one to save them all in the end and because her actions were forced by the hand of Heidnik. All four surviving women received a settlement of $30,000 each. In 1990, Lisa Thomas filed a complaint against the city of Philly on the claims that it negligently failed to intervene and save them as the police had frequently visited Heidnick's home. These complaints were unfortunately dismissed due to the city of Philly's preliminary objections in the form of demur. As of 2014, Jacqueline Askins, due to her trauma, has episodes in which her flashbacks cause her to assume a different personality named Donna, who is a protector. With that being said, she still keeps going and healing. She works cleaning houses and tries to give all the children in her life the foundations and care she never had.
0: As of 2021, Josephine Rivera has written a book on her trauma and she still seeks counseling. She has a husband and was reunited with her three sons after cleaning up her act. She still has frequent panic attacks and nightmares. The other girls provided a couple public interviews and have kept their lives private. Nothing can be found online about their whereabouts.
1: We hope that these women have found their own versions of peace and continue to heal and live their lives as fully as they choose. I can't imagine what they went through and it can't be easy to move on from that
0: neither can i these women showed massive feats of strength and survival and our hearts go out to them as well as their families and here we are at the end of today's case we know this was a big one and we hope you enjoyed it if you
1: did make sure to let us know on our socials you just might have a chance to be our social media follower of the week and my question is what would your last meal be his was two slices of pizza and a black coffee, and if I had to pick just one thing, I'd probably pick, like, a really good Chipotle burrito with a drink and a really damn good coffee to finish it off.
0: I don't think I'd be able to eat anything. Really? Yeah. If I was about to get like murdered.
1: All right, that's fair, yeah.
0: I feel like I'd be just like, ah, You're let's like just get this over sh- with.
1: Just get to the good part?
0: Yeah. Like, ah... Maybe like a chocolate bar or something. Yeah.
1: You know, like a gourmet. No, probably like something.
0: I mean, it depends. Now if they're going all out, like, all right, like lobster and whatever, give me the most expensive piece of steak. Like, yeah. Make the state pay basically.
1: Yeah. That's literally (laughs) what you do. You ask them for whatever you want. It's your last meal. They can't really deny it unless it's literally unattainable. Like human flesh. Yeah.
0: But seriously, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. And keep an eye out for next Thursday's episode, because if you didn't hear at the end of last week's episode, we'll now be posting on Thursdays. So keep an eye out. Bye, guys. Bye.